Is it is it wet or dry out by you? It is damp. Damp. Damp, but frozen. Yes, we are. It is. It's snowing. Actually, it's just little flurries. It's been on and off snowing the last couple of days, but 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 same thing. Kind of like there's a constant moisture in the air, and it's just blech. yeah. It's it's very it's very uh, Scottish outside today. <laughs> That's a good description. Yes, I would agree with that. I would. That's why I don't plan to leave the house again for a long, ah. long time today. I'm 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 in. <laughs> good. Well, then you'll have plenty of time to listen to this classic episode of on our drying study that we did. Yes. Yes. This was was this one of the first grants that we actually would oh. know. Was the last one? Was it? The okay. last one, the biggest one. Hmm. That was the one where we it was all about producing data, showing data that all of the claims that we have been making for decades at that point about low temperature hop drying preserving aromatic compounds. That was it about. That's what it was about. And in order to do it, it was going to take a lot of cash to pull the study off because uh, it was pretty big across multiple farms. Uh, it required some custom fabrication of some small scale test dryers so we could control airflow and heat and temperature on small batches. And, uh, and a lot of chemical analysis that we couldn't even approach in our lab to look at some very specific molecules as markers. And, uh, and so we worked with, with Zach Lilla at AAR Labs here in Madison, uh, and collaborated on that study, which was uh, fundamental in, in the success of that program. So thanks, Zach. Unequivocally, it showed that the more heat you dump into hops, the less aroma compounds there are in the dried product. End of story. Good night. What you do with that, now there's no claims being made about whether that's better, quote unquote, because I don't know what that means. But uh, but we certainly, I think, showed that indeed, as the heat goes up, the volatiles go down. So James, we talk all the time about hop quality and why you want the best possible product to sell to your brewers and brewers the best possible product to put in your beer. And we've, we've had an episode early on when we talked about how to identify quality in hops. Yep. Like not brown in a garbage bag. Yeah, that's bad. That bad. But we wanted to talk today about a study that we undertook to actually look at drying and what high temperature does to aroma content. Correct. I'm, I'm going to let you tell us a bit about how this all started. Well, as our faithful listeners will know, we are proponents of not adding any heat or very, very minimal heat during the drying process because based on physical chemistry, not based on an opinion, based on physical chemistry, as you add heat to aromatic compounds, they volatilize, they turn into vapor and they float away. That's why things like potpourri and scented candles work. If you um if you don't like when James throws science in your face, you might want to leave now. Yeah, this is this is pretty sciencey. We have this concept of volatilization. That's why we smell things. That's why things, you know, for good or bad, right? Because you have these all these molecules that takes a certain amount of energy to make them change their energy their state. So go from like liquid to gas or to have little parts of it break off and go into the air around you, right? There are very specific rates of loss depending on what the temperature is 
and what the what we call vapor pressure is, so how much air pressure is around it. That's why, you know, if you try to if you're boiling water at a higher altitude, it boils at a lower temperature because there's less air pressure. So, for some reason, and I can't figure out why, there are many people in the hop industry, especially the non-traditional hop growers, that are extremely vocal about the fact that I'm completely full of shit. That's for a lot of reasons, though. It's not yes, just this. correct. But as it pertains specifically to hop drying and that this phenomenon that is measured pretty much for every compound that is in a hop cone, this this rate of loss, this heat of vaporization is known. These are known quantified values. So why suddenly the laws of thermodynamics no longer apply inside of a heated hop dryer, I will never understand. So <laughs> we said, <laughs> fine, we will conduct an experiment, a very rigorous experiment to disprove or prove our hypothesis that heated hop drying drives off aromatic compounds in hop cones, period. So what we expected to find was we expected to find some losses based on physical chemistry. There's, I, I don't know why this is such a, a hard thing for people to accept. Like I said, we, we experience it every time we light a scented candle. So what we didn't expect to find was such a clear-cut linear response based on temperature and duration. And that's what we can talk about today. And what, what's interesting about this, you know, we talk a lot about perceptions and, and things like that. But this is, once again, hard cold science. This was a grant that we had money to put against it and really work through a very controlled scientific study. So we'll make sure to touch on that as we go through what was done here to make sure it's just very clear that this was done just like any other scientific paper out there, really not disputable the way the numbers come back. Everybody wants to dispute it. And what I tell people is if you choose to not believe the data, or if you choose to believe that somehow this whole endeavor was a construct, then by all means, try it yourself. <laughs> because in the report, the materials and methods are right there, exactly how we did it. I encourage you to repeat it. People will dispute it anyway. That's okay. I'm used mm -hmm. to that. And, and let's be clear here. The number one reason to dispute something like this is, is money. It's right. because the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that it is faster to dry with heat and faster becomes cheaper because we talk all the time about staging your harvests and how if you're harvesting faster than you can, than you can dry, ugh, you've got this backlog and you've got stuff that's just that's dying right there. Or if you can't harvest as fast as your drying is, is able to run, then you've got dryers that are sitting there empty. So really the only reason that heated drying would be, um, is beneficial is that in the larger scale, it's just cheaper because you can run stuff through the process faster. So what we're going to show you here today is that, um, yeah, it's faster, and thereby you're getting more product through, better throughput, but your quality is dropping. And the question then becomes, is that quality drop measurable enough, and we think it is, that you're hurting the quality of your, uh, of your final product? And, you know, just to be clear, this study 
was not about how long each one of these treatments took to dry. That was not the point. Mm -hmm. The point, the, the focus of the study was to investigate the impact of heated air on, boy, I don't remember how many compounds we tested, but uh, it's in here somewhere. Oh, yeah. Most uh, of them, I think, are made up words. They are pretty made up, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Linalool. Give me a Dozens. Break. Dozens of compounds uh, that are directly related to aroma. Again, not about how long it took each one of these to dry, but to highlight any impact that temperature has on aroma. And then if you want, at the end, we can talk a little bit about what this implies. What are the implications for growers and how would one utilize this data in their drying process? Yep. Yep. I I only bring up timing in the sense that that'll be the logical pushback I think people will have, which is, oh, but it's going to take so much longer the other way. So I think that's going to be your common push. Um, But yes, uh, agree. There's there's no timing measure in here whatsoever. This is solely about heat and resultant quality when it's all done. And I think too that timing is, I challenge people's heated drying concept that it's so much faster from start to finish and by start to finish i mean wet hops in dry hops out in a bale it's not because in most conventional heated drying systems the hops that come out of the dryer bed are then piled onto a big floor and cold air is 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 forced through them so they they normalize that means you've got super dry spots and super wet spots hot spots cold spots and you want to try and mix them all together and they can sit in there for you know up to a day so what if you got you know you you can turn your dryer over in eight hours or seven hours with heated air when you have to go and let them sit in condition for another eight to 24 hours before you can do anything with it as opposed to a non-heated dryer using dehumidification that takes the same amount of time from wet hop to dry bale you just need more dryer space instead of a, well i don't need a, so, as many dryers well that with heated drying that's true but you also need a massive cooling floor that you can let these things condition on so your space use efficiency isn't any different very good point so we'll go we'll leave it there Alrighty. so let's um, talk about methodology okay the idea here was that we wanted to test a wide range of temperatures because ultimately you know the goal here would be to show an effect of each treatment so a treatment effect right and our treatments were were different temperatures so i think you were looking at at about 80 degrees as as just room temperature yeah so the treatments were you know you have to have a control and a control is basically your your baseline it's against it's a treatment against which you know nothing has been done you could have positive and negative controls blah 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 but in this scenario our base control was a dehumidified no heat added sample that's if you don't count dan heavy breathing on it that's correct yes so now that adds more moisture we try to keep him away Mm. so what we have is uh that was i think about 80 or 85 degrees fahrenheit Mm-hmm. And then uh, the next treatment, and that was with dehumidification. The next three treatments were all heated treatments without dehumidification. One was uh, 110 degrees Fahrenheit, 135 degrees Fahrenheit, and the third one was 155 degrees Fahrenheit. So we 
we certainly bracketed the commercial heated range uh, and then also some lower temperatures hoping for that we would see some sort of linear response. And 155, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is about where the, the larger hop industry, that's where they typically dry. Yeah, they, they bounce around between 140 and 160, but we know above really 160 Fahrenheit that you start to degrade lupulin. And so that's that's where the upper limit was established way back in the, good Lord, Rudd did it back in the, I think, 1910, where he found that, yeah, as soon as you get above about 160 Fahrenheit, they starts to degrade alpha acids. But hey, if you go all the way up to 800 degrees, you can dry those hops in about 45 minutes. So <laughs> uh, he went all the way up. So anyway, we those are the four treatments that we use. So basically ambient are 80 to 85 degrees Fahrenheit, 110, 135, and 155 degrees Fahrenheit. That was the air temp. Yep. And there was really no point in going higher to your point. No, exactly. Because we wanted to keep this as realistic, real world as possible. Mm-hmm. If this was a pure investigation type study, uh, discovery type study, then we would have had a positive and a negative control, and we would have had a we would have went way high. So just so we could bracket the far end to see what happens, but you know, at at the end of the day, we wanted to use the money that we were awarded by the USDA to to really address you know real world impactful situations. So mm-hmm. so what we did is we built some special dryers. That way we could take a crop. In this case, it was Cascade. because so I figured that was a good generic baseline. Everybody understands what Cascade is. We took them at harvest. Uh, they were 74% moisture content. Ran them through commercial uh, Wolf 220 and put them, the samples, in temperature-controlled cooler and transported them to our facility for drying. And the dryer itself, we used, I should say, we used, um, our sample size was 15 pounds wet per treatment. And uh, the dryers were built, uh, so they would accept a a sample that was uh, two foot by two foot by one foot bed depth. We used a, a centrifugal fan to pull air down through the sample instead of pushing up from underneath that was to eliminate any potential for non-uniformity of airflow in case you got a blowhole from pushing air up from underneath into the hotbed by pulling down it sort of compacts the bed and you don't risk losing any any air to uh, shimmying hops as as they get drier they get lighter right Mm -hmm. and and anyone who doesn't know how about the pull method and all that we've got two episodes from about two months back with dan where we get into depth on all that yeah 8000 cfm at one inch water column pressure drop blah 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 all this data is, is in the study so you guys can go back and look at it if you want heat was added to three of the four treatments uh, via an indirect propane combustion system that we built there was one fan basically pulling down on all four samples at once so we had the same airflow. They were all drying at the same time from the same harvest day, just with different treatments. And we wanted to eliminate any possibility of you know degradation due to we could only dry one sample at a time. No, no, no. We had to dry them all at once. So that was a challenge. Each individual unit had its own, you know, the three heated treatments had its own burner so that there was really no 
opportunity for one treatment temperature to cross over into another. So that was, it was tricky, but, but we did it. Uh, we had all kinds of, Dan had the instrumentation out the wazoo on this thing. So we were measuring, we had thermocouples or little wires that measure temperature. We had them at the heat inlet. So where heat was coming into the airstream. Uh, and we had it at the top of the bed. We had one in the middle of the bed. We had one at the bottom of the bed. And then we even had one on the outflow so that we could record the temperature of the air from where it combusted all the way through the exhaust so that we could get an idea of what the temperature drop was because a measure of temperature drop across a wet hotbed is also a measure of the drying rate because it takes energy to take that water and flash it out of the hop into the air. So a temperature drop is recording the efficiency of that air to remove moisture. If that made any sense. It did. (laughs) (laughs) And we we also had uh, these fancy things, anemometers uh, at the air inlet of the lower plenum plenum, so that we could record the incoming and outgoing air velocity to make sure that we didn't have any difference in airflow in any one of the treatments as little as we could. You know, there's always some variability. But And again, I I would say we were drying, you know, from 74% to 8% regardless of how long it took. So we weren't measuring, well, we did measure how long it took, but that was not a parameter of the study. So some samples ran longer than others. Mm-hmm. And when one sample was done, we had to pull that sample off and then turn the fan speed down because now we don't want all those CFMs pulling through fewer samples because that means you're moving more air. So it was kind of tricky, but we did it. So, so at that point, you're left with four dried samples Dried differently, but now at the, now down to the same moisture content. Correct, yep. So they're all the same moisture content. What we did is we took those samples when they were, when they were done, and we divided them into four 1.25-pound units, subsamples. And we put those in barrier bags with inert gas per industry standards, right? And froze them to wait for analysis. James, I thought you're not supposed to freeze hops that you package whole, blah, blah, blah. No, no, these were going, these were not, these particular samples were not going for brewing. They were going for laboratory and sensory analysis. So we froze them to stop as much as we could, stop the whole oxidation process. So So I've got four samples per treatment, right? Mm -hmm. So we took one of those samples uh, from, from each treatment and brought them to room temperature and then we had a panel of trained sensory experts that were presented with eight samples and they didn't know which samples were which so basically they each were presented with two samples of each treatment does that make sense yep and they had no idea which ones were which and they weren't given to them in any particular order they did our the industry standard hop rub analysis they crushed them up in their palms right cupped their hands they followed the how to huff hops <laughs> protocol that, that we wrote. <laughs> so everybody was doing it the same. And these were professionals, brewers, uh, that have done this numerous times. And it speaks to why we stuck to a basic hop like Cascade as well. You want something where there's really no question into what you can expect from a hop like that. That's exactly right. What they had to do is for a series of, of um, different aroma types, which we'll talk about in a second, they had to score it, you know, from one to five, one being a very low aroma or no aroma and five being, you know, very high aroma. And let's see, what did we measure for? 
It's been so long ago. Let me... So I've, I've got them here. So from the, from the hop rub perspective, you were looking at fruity, floral, citrus, tropical fruit, woody, earthy, herbal, and pine. There you go. And what's interesting there is that some of those, the vegetative properties will come out stronger as some of the fruitier things get suppressed. Correct. So you really do change the dynamic of that hop. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we can see that in the data, and we'll talk about that in a second. So that was test one. That was the, was, the hands-on. Yep. So the whole idea here was to say it's, it's all fine and dandy to, to look at it, uh, data gathered in the laboratory, looking at chemical analysis. But what does that mean in the real world? So we wanted to see if we could make a correlation between the laboratory aroma data, the chemical data, and the hop rub experience. And when you think about the, the sales and marketing side of this that we've talked about numerous times, and we've had conversations about first impressions and getting out in front of your brewers, if, if they're doing a hop rub and they get a wow moment from that aroma as opposed to a eh moment, mm-hmm. that's, that can be the beginning or the end of your relationship right there. Yeah. Yep. Totally. So the second part of this experiment was the laboratory experiment. And, you know, this is the part where I geek out and everybody goes to sleep. These are the words that I don't think are real. Correct. What? Organoleptic aroma analysis? Yeah. Say, <laughs> say, say that twice in a row the same way. We'll see if it's actually a, a real word. Organoleptic um, aroma analysis? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what we did here at the laboratory, we took these the other subsamples and analyzed the aroma profile, the volatile aroma compounds, using gas chromatography mass spectroscopy so and specifically headspace solid phase micro extraction <laughs> to get all that so so basically what you do and we did we did a couple of different extraction types and which is a kind of a interesting data in and of itself showing that what you would think of like well distilling hop oil and hop you know adding heat in a distillation unit and collecting all the stuff that that volatilizes out you would think you'd lose a lot that way right um so what we did is we tested that method and then we tested one that was what we call the solid phase micro extraction where you take hops and you put them in a jar sealed with this special membrane that's in there and this membrane is designed to absorb volatile organic compounds and you slowly heat that sample now you're not getting it super hot right you're just getting it warm enough to well to volatilize stuff and all those chemicals bond to this membrane that's the solid phase we call it micro extraction and then we tested that so we stripped the the membrane of all of its compounds and then shot that through the the gas chromatography mass spectroscopy unit and really the intent here so we've done the the sensory piece where your actual human being is is looking for for aroma here what we were able to do was for each of these aroma types, for floral, for fruity, etc., it's long been identified what chemical compounds contribute to each of those. Correct. So now we can look for the presence of each of those chemical compounds and understand how they differentiate across these four samples and relate them back to, well, these are the ones that affect floral, these are the ones that affect fruity, and so on and so forth. Right. And do the differences that we measured in the lab have any correlation, any relationship to the data that came out of the hop rub experiment. 
that was really critical for us to make sure that we were very clear on whether or not there was a real-world human sensory impact compared to what the laboratory was, was finding. And short answer is yes, it was very highly correlated. Yep. Yeah, because all the science in the world doesn't make a difference if, uh, if it don't smell right. Right. Yep, exactly. So long story short, that's, that's what happened. So what we found, which is what everybody wants to know about, is in every single instance, by instance, I mean every single treatment, whatever the target molecule was that we were looking for, to your point, Greg, about every molecule, like in citrus or piney or earthy, we know what those molecules are. In every single case, every case, and if you look at that list of compounds, it's, I don't remember, 50 or 60 or more, I don't know. Every single case, there's a concentrate reduction in concentration as temperature increases mm-hmm. in the sample. Every single case. Yep, and I'm, I'm looking at the, the ch- very nice charts here showing how the, the loss in each of the components gets worse as the temperature goes up. And we'll, we'll throw some of these up on the Instagram feed and whatnot so you can all see them. But it is very, very apparent. It's, it's pretty dramatic. I mean, even some compounds, like in the floral area, which floral compounds are very delicate, and, uh, well, they're... You, you think of flowers, right? And usually it's... Uh, they're usually... Well, not always subtle, but they're... They are delicate and they're very complex. Um, geranial is known in combination with linalool. There's a ratio, a geranial linalool ratio, that equates very heavily to this concept of dry hop flavor and aroma in beer. If you have a reduction in any one of those due to treatment, uh, geranial or linalool or both, you're going to negatively impact this concept of hoppiness in a, in a dry hop beer. And what we find is that even at the lowest temperature, 110 degrees Fahrenheit, compared to the unheated dehumidified sample, there's a 45% loss of geraniol at 110 degrees Fahrenheit compared to a dehumidified sample. Almost half. So what that tells me is, all right, what happened to the linalool? So if I go and look at linalool, linalool saw a smaller loss of, of in that same temperature range at 110 degrees, saw a smaller loss somewhere around 25%. So it lost half as much as geraniol, but it still lost 25% compared to the to the uh, unheated sample. And, and depending on the aroma components, I mean, some of these are stronger than others naturally. So a loss of 25%, a loss of 10% could be profoundly impactful to the ending flavor. Correct. Another thing we did is we looked at what is the sensory threshold of these compounds? Because you're like, yeah, okay, big deal. You lost 25%, but does that mean that there's a loss in perceived aroma? Because that compound you, know, you may be able to lose 25%. Nobody cares, right? You wouldn't be able to notice. That's why we did the, the, the hop rub study too, to take a look at that and see how does that relate to what we're finding here. End of discussion, gang. Even at 110 degrees Fahrenheit, you've already screwed up that geraniol to linalool ratio 
to a dramatic degree, which is automatically, unequivocally going to impact dry hop, quote, hoppiness in a finished beer product. So, so the balance piece of this is such an important point. The, the balance within the, the hop itself. So, because I, as you were talking about 25% loss in linalool, I'm thinking to myself, so someone's going to say, well, can I just increase my, my hop volume in my brew to make up for that loss? But we're not talking about a weak hop. We're talking about a misbalanced. And um, the, the, you've completely turned on its end the chemical balance and therefore the aroma and the flavor balance in that hop. It's not a matter of fixing it by volume. Right. And if, like for a little, if you look at 110 versus 135, there's a slight increase, uh, slightly higher loss at 135 compared to 110. But you jump to 155 and it's a massive loss. I mean, now you've lost almost 50% of linalool and over almost 60% of geraniol. So as temperature increases, we are seeing losses, but we're not seeing as dramatic of loss between 110 and 135 as we see between 135 and 155. So that 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 tells us that this what we call activation energy in order to get that those compounds to volatilize, it's there. You know, 110 is enough to do it, and probably you know 90 degrees is probably enough to do it. But as we increase temperature we've got, well, more energy, and that more energy is going to overcome the stubbornness of that molecule to not volatilize, right? We're adding more energy. More energy means more volatilization, and that means uh, losses out of your hops. And it just makes you wonder, to a, to a trained nose, um, the test that, that we did, but to hand someone a, a dehumidified, dried hop versus a mass-produced kiln, for the lack of a better word, mm-hmm. dried mm-hmm. hop, I mean, those sh- those should be perceived as almost two completely different products. Yeah, exactly. And that's something I've been advocating for for years. There is no grade in hops, mm. right? Every other freaking piece of produce and herb that you buy has a grade. You can buy A-plus produce. You can buy double A. You can buy A. You can buy B, C, and D, but not with hops. Hops are hops are hops are hops, right? Wrong. But the industry is not designed to, or need to, I guess you would say, from their perspective, differentiate that. Because now, how do you how do you manage that now? You're going to pay somebody more because their hops have more what? More alpha acid? Uh, we used to pay on pounds alpha, but nobody cares about that anymore because we're just not looking to bitter. And people have been trying to find an aroma unit for years, but it's not that simple. It's not just one compound. It's all of these. So which ones are the most important? Are you only going to pay somebody on their on their geraniol to linalool ratio? Well, what if it's a hop that isn't high in either one of those, and it's actually not a floral hop, but something that's tropical fruity or earthy? So you can't really assign a grade in the conventional sense. But you look at vintners, and when they're making wine, and they're going out and they're choosing their crop, they're doing that. They're you know, tasting grapes, they're, you know, they're understanding what's happening to them in the field. And the best brewers in the world do the same thing with the hops. They go out to the field, they rub them, they, they test them, they, they want to get a good, 
sense of that processor or, or, or grower's ability to grow a good hop, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, we understand that 99.5% of brewers out there don't have the resources to do that. There, there being no grade in quality, except for, you know, how oxidized is the sample? How oxidized is the hop? That's the hop storage index. It's, it, it really is disappointing. Yeah, and I, you know, I have to wonder how sensitive a nose, and, and most brewers have a pretty sensitive nose for this stuff, but it's one thing to be doing a hop rub with all of these samples at once to be able to tell a difference between them. It's different to go out to a farm and do a rub and know, you know, I, I wonder how dramatic the difference is at that point from some, when they're not presented with two different dried samples at the same time, I guess is what I'm saying. Right, right. And that's why you have to be careful when you're running these types of studies. Certainly when the human element is involved as a sensory device. Oh, humans suck. Humans are awful. But what we're really good at is we have an extremely highly developed olfactory system. Not nearly as much compared to dogs and cats and other animals, but our ability to sense even the smallest parts per trillion, in some cases, of compounds in hops is amazing and is more accurate in many cases than the laboratory uh, analysis. Hmm. So that's why having someone who's trained and knows what to look for uh, is really important when you're, when you're running a sensory experiment like this. So, I mean, we could go through yada, yada, yada on all of these compounds. I mean, they all, in every case, in every grouping, uh, it's pretty dramatic losses it upon is. heat. I uh, do think it's interesting to look at the organoleptic ratings and and the, the pieces that increased. So, the again, the balance side. Oh, sure. Yep. Yeah, that was interesting. I think you mentioned it earlier. Uh, as, as some of these compounds dissipate upon temperature, other attributes become more pronounced. It's not like, like you said, the herbal, the herbal aromas increased in, in ranking as the treatment temperature increased. Yeah, whereas things like fruity and floral, as you mentioned earlier, and citrus, those things that, that you're looking for very often, they, they plummeted. So a zero to five rating we were using, five being the you know, strongest. Mm-hmm. A, a no heat completely dehumidified sample was coming in with a fruity rating of 3.8 155 degrees it was 2.2 yep huge decline there huge, and huge drop a similar drop for floral and for well, citrus look at, the, look at the tropical fruit one it was 3.9 with no heat and 1.8 at 155 degrees hmm. huge drop yep but yet herbal increased it didn't increase a lot it went from 3.1 to 4 but did we we didn't add more herbal components mm-hmm. and it also took over it, it, it tends to take over that aroma so it only increased a bit compared to the drop of the others but it then became the most prevalent sensation Correct. from those hops when you got yep. to that temperature yep and so a lot of times i've been with brewers at, when they're doing hop rubs and they're they say oh smells like hay <laughs> And you, you do, you grind it up, and that's the first thing you get. Well, if you're certainly from Wisconsin, you know what hay smells like. But uh, it's dried grass, and you're like, there's there's nothing there but herbal 
vegetal component. Why? Well, for several reasons, but most likely it was dried too hot. Which makes sense here, right? That makes total sense. You're going to take a hop that has the potential to present very floral and citrusy and some tropical fruit and some heavy, heavy pine. Pine was at 4.1 on no heat treatment and 2.6 at 155 degrees. Wow. All of those other compounds are going away, and the only thing that's sticking behind is the herbal, and that becomes the primary sensory component. So again, as uh, we mentioned earlier, it's it's the balance. You're changing the chemical balance of your hop and therefore of your aroma. So it's um, I I feel like I can't stress this enough. It's not that heated drying creates just a weaker hop that you have to augment to get your flavor where you want it to be. It's that you're changing the properties. Yep, you're changing the property of the hop you're you're altering the component ratios to one another because some compounds require a lot less energy to volatilize than others and you can see that in the data you know you would as as we would expect the floral components like geraniol are very volatile and they take very little energy to flash off and that's reflected in the data as opposed to something like nearol still a floral component but takes a lot more energy to make it go away you're changing the ratio and the relationship of these compounds to one another mm-hmm. and you know we, we talked before about the fact that cascade is a great one to use here because it, it's something the brewers are intimately familiar with it makes that that organoleptic side the the physical side of it much easier to f- find differences in that said if we were working with a hop whose properties are supposed to be earthy and um, and herbal, maybe we would have come back with, you know what? The drying just makes it that much more powerful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it really, um, it, one of the signs of what I think of a very good scientific study is, is that you end up with answers, but also a whole bunch of new questions. Right. And in a situation like this, I, I, I mean, would love to see this repeated for, two dozen varieties and there may be room for different drying methods for different varieties you know you start talking about what's economically feasible as a business and that's insane to start drying differently for different things um, at this level but i i think there's something to be said for for diving deeper here and trying to figure out um you know what the balance needs to be it's always about balance and there's, there's no getting around that. Uh, the study was designed to highlight any impact that drying temperature has on aroma content and concentration in hop cones. And can we correlate that to a sensory analysis? And I think definitively the study shows both of those things. I wonder if there is a more earthy hop variety where... By drying Cascade, as was done here with high heat, if you start to mimic another variety, if there's a way to use temperature to, to alter the chemical balance to the point where you're actually, you know, mirroring some, some other properties. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm sure that you could do that with blending different varieties of hops. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. The, the challenge there is going to be what environmental factors besides drying impacts these chemicals. And can you do it consistently? That's the real challenge. And I mean, this was 
difficult enough in the laboratory to test these, you know, 50 or some odd compounds, but to, to track that across samples or across uh, uh, fields, even in the same harvest year, and then go into different locations and whatnot, there's a real impact of, we call it terroir, right? Mapping that to any given variety for any given growing condition and expecting that to be the same year over year, that is a massive undertaking. Mm -hmm. um, you just look at the cost of, of the method development in the laboratory and running these samples. It was like six grand. So it's not like you're going to go and drop off samples now, you know, and say, okay, I want somebody, you know, hey, you do sensory analysis. Do you, can you analyze these compounds for me? Well, if they don't have a, a, a protocol written and they don't have the equipment to do it, it's extremely expensive. That's why we wrote a grant proposal mm -hmm. to help fund this. Um, Zach at AAR Labs in Madison is the one who, who tooled up for this project and uh, because he knew that, well, he believed in its project <laughs> and he thought it was very interesting, but you know, now he's tooled up to be able to measure this stuff. You know, I think he's charged us three or 400 bucks a sample. That's a lot, but it's not six grand. Sure. Um, so shout out to Zach. Thank you, brother. Uh, it was a, it was a pleasure uh, working with you on this project and, uh, and I'm sure we're going to do more work together in the future. Mm -hmm. So there's one other component here that didn't work out. And I think it's important still to talk about it. Sure. And, because naturally you want to know, okay, there's a, there's the, there's the hop rub and, and the aroma that the brewer's getting. And then there's the, the chemical analysis, but what does it do to the beer at the end of the day? Oh yeah, exactly. Well, that was part of the study. And what's one of my favorite sayings, no plan survives implementation. Mm -hmm. um, we had fully planned to brew beer for a sensory analysis. And then use that beer and take it back to, to Zach and have him shoot that through the GCMS and see if we can measure differences in the finished beer. And we tried twice. Uh, the first brewer we worked with ditched us. <laughs> Let's just say for, for, for a, a, a kid friendly show, uh, we got severely ditched. <laughs> he ditched the hell out of us. Um, <laughs> Was he trying to make beer he could sell? What the hell? Yeah, right. Well, this would have been in their pilot system and, you know, promises, 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 no delivery, never mind, we don't want to work with you. Uh, oh. And then and then another brewer that we worked with, um, one of the treatments, two of the treatments that he was brewing got an infection. And so we would have to start over. And we were prepared to do that. However, between both of those brewers, they used all of our samples. So I had no more samples left to brew with. <laughs> and here I, here I was, I thought I had way more than enough hops just in case something went wrong and everything went wrong. Yeah. So it did not go to plan. We are missing part of the equation here, but I think we've got a good enough data set with the dry hop rub, the organoleptic stuff, to clearly demonstrate that there is a human sensory impact here. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And really what you're looking at here, um, I, I agree with you, it, it does tell you, it, it validates the hypothesis certainly that there's an impact. And it is so interesting with the different tiers of temperature to see where that hockey sticks. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's as soon as you hit 110, sometimes it's when you go higher. 
I, I do want to say I think I've figured out how you're making up all of these chemical names that you're throwing on the page. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm just looking through the list of all the the losses, and one of the woody components is yang is yangine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Langine, Langine, yeah, w- w- way to go! Yeah, uh, I love to wa- hear you struggle. It's awesome, Langine. I'm almost positive my son spent like three weeks of allowance on a Pokemon card for that character, <laughs> and he was carrying uh, a big wooden stick. So I, I think that's what you did. You found a bunch of Pokemon and you turned them into chemical names. You're on to me. That are extremely vocal about the fact that I'm completely full of shit. <laughs>